Come on, little machine. Let's do this. All right, second. We should be streaming. Come on. Oh, yeah. It looks like we're streaming. Okay. You ready for this? You bet. Uh, go ahead and uh, say something again. Testing one, two, three. All right, that'll work. Cool. Theme music in three, two... everyone welcome to this the legion of myth live stream i am your first host alex garthon marsh with me is rick elgarian hart say hello rick hello rick ah i can't beat that the old jokes are the best jokes yes how things going for you this night oh Quite well. Started a new job recently. Uh, kind of glowing from that still. Oh, you actually uh, started? I did. Oh, I thought you were just hired back. on. Yep, kind of hectic a little bit, trying to figure things out. Steep learning curve, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. Well, you know, the uh, the world of male escorting is varied and exciting. I'm sure you can hang of it in no time. No way. That's a good joke. I'm going to use it at work. <laughs> uh, I do what I can. I'm going to use it, I'm going to say it in a Cliff Clavin type accent of Boston accent. Oh, that'd be the best. Well, you know, the world of, uh... Yeah, the letter carrier was actually the original male escort. <laughs> so a little known fact that in uh, Elizabethan England, letter carriers actually uh, would carry things other than letters, such as sweets, love packages, or even uh, long-distance romances. There you go. That's why they were called male men. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, terrible Cliff Clavin uh, impersonations aside. Yeah, for I any, think on both of our accounts. Yeah, for anyone under the age of twenty, that's from a show called Cheers. It was quite funny for its okay. time. Available on Netflix. All ten seasons, probably ten. Something like that. I don't know. The show was okay. Then it got good. Then it got okay. Then it got bad for the last season. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say got. Eh, it was okay last season. It didn't fall it the start. Birth. It did give birth to Frasier. You're right. Yes, and that was an excellent ten season series. Yeah, Frasier was a good series. Well, what always got me about Frasier. I know we're RNGing already, but Frasier, the TV series, was based off the characters from Cheers, but Frasier's background was completely different on his own sitcom than what was laid out for him in the in Cheers. Yeah, there were definitely similarities, but they went into a lot of specifics. So you think some continuity was broken? Well, yeah. I mean, there's actually an episode where uh, they're talking about, like, Father's Day or something. And I think Clifford Norm was talking about doing something with their dad. And then Fraser starts talking about his father's always too busy with his damned experiments. And it's like, oh, you're, uh, your, dad, your old man was a scientist there, Fraser? He's like, no, Clifford. He was a laboratory rat. Uh, 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so when they re- wrote it up for the series, they decided to go somebody completely different. Yeah, they decided to go fish out of water comedy. That worked well. The father was hilarious. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah, he was great. Oh, the whole cast is really good in that. I think that, oh, what's your name, the Daphne Moon character kind of got really watered down throughout the series, but she started out really interesting, I thought. Mm-hmm. And the banter between him and Niles was classic. Oh, yeah, they're always great. They even had an episode of The Simpsons with those two playing brothers. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, you know, because uh, Kelsey Grammer played Sideshow Bob, and mm-hmm. one of the Sideshow Bob episodes has him. The episode is called The Brother from Another Series. Um, actually has Bob's arch nemesis being his uh, brother, his younger brother, who was voiced by the guy did Alice Crane, whose name currently escapes me. It was actually pretty oh, hilarious, you know, not a nice meta joke, you know. Yeah, that's cool. All right, but what we're actually going to talk about this episode, uh, we could make it all about Cheers, I suppose. I used to watch that every night um, on my three-inch black-and-white TV when I was in high school, late at night. Anyway, uh, that's because in Arizona, there's a gap between The Tonight Show and Conan O'Brien. Because on the East Coast, they were showed right one behind the other. But on the in Arizona, because you're on Western time, basically... The shows didn't air right after each other. There was, a 30, there was a gap in between them. So they would show local news and an episode of Cheers in between the two shows. So every night I'd watch that. Anyway, in this episode, we're going to talk about Elgarian's Bargain's Video Games. He's going to talk about Wasteland 2, The Wastening. Uh, that may not be the actual title. Uh, and Garth's Comic Poll. We're going to go over X-Men, Avengers, and more. And then other random things punctuated throughout. Well, we'll try and keep the random things to the end, because when it comes to editing, it becomes hell if we just start randoming completely a lot. And we're already guilty of that, Rick. Man. I blame you for giving me a Cliff Clavin reference to hold on to. Well, you know, Normie, it was the uh, RNG was first developed in <laughs> ancient Mesopotamia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the uh, the mathematicians there actually used to uh, work out the dice table rolls and uh, loot drops uh, from enemy, enemy armies uh, on uh, clay tablets. Uh, oh, gosh, what was it? Ah, uh, never mind. Can't remember the name of the mythic hero right now. Ah. Anyway, uh, so uh, let's let's get going with that. Let's talk about the disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this episode are solely the opinions of the individual host or commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasions of foul or even offensive language. Thank you for your understanding and continued viewership. As always, you can check us out. Check out the, all the other happenings and the wacky mix-em-ups we do on our website, legionmyth.tv or .com. Uh, check out our YouTube stuff. So we have many things going on and new exciting things coming. Uh, Heathen Dog does a couple excellent series, mainly about Star Trek Online. Uh, Max Leo has been streaming various games. And Noro has actually started putting up things from she's been recording. Uh, her World of Tanks streams and also new exciting things coming up, which I'm not at liberty to talk about. But they will blow your mind. That might not be on YouTube, but you can find out that stuff. And also, you can check out our streams on Twitch every single day of the week. Can't beat that. Twitch TV slash Legion of Myth. 
Facebook.com slash Legion of Myth. We are pretty active there. If you want to talk to us, we'll talk right back at you. You might even like what we say. Uh, Messenger, Twitter, at Legion of Myth. That's been pretty active. Have fun with that. So go and check it out. So, without further ado, let us go down to Elgarian and his Bargain Basement Bin gaming update of Wasteland 2, the director's cut. Hey, yes. So, not too long ago, or was it about a month ago, I reviewed Wasteland 1, the original that released back in the 80s. Yeah, the, the graphics did not uh, hold up very well. No, they did not. Uh, so, in any case, uh, I bought that as a bundle with Wasteland 2. Um, and so shortly after uh, giving up on Wasteland 1, there was just no way I could deal with the interface. Um, I dove into Wasteland 2, uh, and it was great uh, single-player, uh, tactical, sci-fi, turn-based uh, RPG. Uh, absolutely loved it. And it actually had a good interface this time? Yes, uh, it had a very modern interface, kind of Diablo-esque, you know, with the, the top-down view, kind of at an angle. Uh, there's probably a name for that. Uh, isometric. Isometric. And then uh, it was developed and published by InExale Entertainment, which uh, is comprised of many of the original developers for the original Wasteland game. That's pretty cool. So my first uh, warning or suggestion to players is don't pay new game prices for this game. Currently, you can buy it for $40 on Steam. I just checked today, but it does frequently go on sale. I got it in the director's cut bundle with the original Wasteland for only $14. So, and I bet you it's probably by Christmas, you can probably get it for about 10 bucks on sale. So. Uh, I'm betting uh, summer sales coming up soon. Might be on that. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, definitely hold off. If you see it for full price, just give it a little while. Wise words of wisdom, my friend. And that charming picture of that dog, that's a, uh, that's a nuke pooch. Oh, I bet they're a lovely company. Oh, yes. They like to cuddle. <laughs> With their teeth. <laughs> All right. So uh, when I went into this game, my hopes essentially were a little bit of a, a dip into nostalgia. Of course, Wasteland 1 was a childhood favorite of mine. Um, I was hoping for a great story. Uh, I really expected the original creators of Wasteland to, to, to be able to pull off something uh, great in this day and age. And tactics... Uh, after having played Shadowruns, uh, it was a tactical uh, isometric uh, RPG as well. I uh, was pretty disappointed from Shadowruns combat. This was far too simple, and I was wondering if Wasteland would follow suit. Uh, so, but those were my hopes that I'd get good tactics and story and nostalgia out of it. And uh, worries, uh, well, it was a, uh, a budget design. It was crowdsourced. Uh, but what I found out later on is that since it was so successful, they've revisited their original uh, game, and that's why we have the director's cut now. They've done things like uh, added uh, voice acting, and uh, the voice acting was high quality. I was very, very impressed. That's good. So you're saying the uh, like the original, the Shadowrun isometric games they have out, you think the tech combat's too simple there? Have you tried like XCOM or something? I have yet to play XCOM. I have it in my endless uh, list of games I've purchased on sale and have yet to install it and play it. I know our very own Bab is a big fan of XCOM, and I've heard the combat there can get pretty dang tactical. Yeah, I'm definitely... Uh, yeah, XCOM, Skyrim, uh, maybe the newer Deuce X, uh, those are uh, probably soon-to-be-played games. Uh, I just yeah. installed uh, Bioshock 2 Minerva's Den uh, last night. That's uh, cool. Well, I, I know that if you check my Steam profile, I have well over 200 hours into Skyrim, 
Um, I think it's a great game, but I'd also highly recommend modding it first. Oh, really? I don't mean necessarily mean like, you need to mod it so nothing can kill you and you have the sword of death from the beginning. No, I mean, uh, there's a lot of graphic upgrade package uh, patches or mods. There's uh, mods to improve crafting. You know, there's uh, sounds, things like that, but just to make the world a lot more beautiful and easier to live place. There are some very nice mods for that. I would definitely uh, pick those up. That'd be a real nice special edition stream this to list out all the good mods, what's the benefits of them. That's true. I mean, I could actually, I might do that. Actually, that's a good suggestion. I think I'll actually go through my Skyrim mods, and uh, I'll probably make that a YouTube thing, go through all my Skyrim mods, talk about which ones I like and why. Yeah, sweet. And then I'll copy what you say and play it. Yeah, that works. Well, not every, just some mods you get just because you find them entertaining, you know? Like, there's mods that give, like, there's a mod that actually gives all the mud crabs, like, top hats. I don't use it. I find it hilarious. It totally ruins immersion, but they have the crabs have monocles and top hats now. That's Yay. that's hilarious. <laughs> just uh, there's a mod that uh takes the uh, the dragons and turns them into Macho Man Randy Savage essentially, and changes all their like dragon dialogue to Macho Man Randy Savage like oh yeah you know things like that. Well, that doesn't break immersion. No, I don't see why. Like I said, that's not something I actually use. But I have run it just to do it, and it, I just laugh, you know? Because, you know, it starts your opening scene, you're a prisoner, and, like, you hear dragon calls in the distance. But in the mod, in the, like, in the distance, you hear, oh, yeah, the madness is coming. <laughs> you know, they actually pull, like, Montreal quotes. He's like, so it's hilarious. Like, instead of, like, these ominous calls, you start hearing Macho Man, you know, taunts getting closer. Oh, the madness is going to run wild. You know, it's just, you know. Anyway, yeah. enough about that. Uh, so you're questioning, is this $14 you wasted? Because that's seven games of your normal $2 budget. You are a yeah. big spender, my friend. I know. Normally my bargain bin uh, selections are anywhere from one, sometimes up to $3 if I'm feeling spendy. But uh, yeah, for our special one-year anniversary of uh, the Legion of Myth livestream, remember I bought that bundle so I could play the old Wasteland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I was, I was pressured into buying the game early. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I would say that's one of the great things about being a gamer nowadays. You can get actually some really excellent games for two bucks. Yep. That is, it's just mind-blowing, you know. And for the developer's standpoint, too, the games that are five, ten years old, which usually wouldn't garner them any more money, they're still making money. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, everyone kind of wins in the end because it's like you can still get these games that are five, ten years old without having to constantly try and borrow it or get an illegal copy or run through Goodwills hoping to find one. You could buy it direct from the guys who made it. They still get money for it. It's not much, but it's better than the zero they would have got. And what's it cost for them to put it on the server and leave it there with all their current stuff? Nothing. Nothing additional to what they would have from running their current servers, you know? So I think it's a win-win for everyone. So So what are the the pros of this game? So pros... uh... I kind of got what I was hoping for. Amazing story. So uh, I, I think uh, there's been a few uh, questions, maybe from Max, that, what, he actually reads the quests? Yes, uh, <laughs> unless the game sucks. So uh, every word of dialogue in that game that I played that I was able to find, because I'm a kind of a completionist, so I didn't want to uh, 
uh, missed anything. Um, I read and it was intriguing, well-written. And fortunately, all the main storyline items, not every bit of text is voice acted, but I would say probably anywhere from 40 to 50% of the text is voice acted. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, and uh, high, other than probably two voice actors. Uh, so there was two voice actors that were really kind of annoying. And when I got done reading the text, I would just click to the next one because I just wanted them to stop talking. But uh, every single other voice actor was fully intriguing. And I actually tried not to read the text because I wanted to hear it from them and you know hear their emotion. Uh, they did a, a great job casting their voice actors. That's good to hear. I love it when they have good voice acting. Of course, everyone hates it when they have bad voice acting. But uh, yeah, because they can go burn through a quest a lot faster if you just read the text. But if they have a good voice actor, I'll actually like slow down and like I might read along with it or read it first, but I'm still going to listen to the full voice acting to get the full impact. Because it actually helps in storytelling if the voice actor is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It, it makes you f kind of bond with the uh, the characters you're trying to help or defeat. Oh, very much so. Um, the quests uh, were really well scripted. They used a lot of interesting mechanics kind of uh, peppered in throughout the game uh, to kind of keep them uh, intriguing. Uh, and keep in mind, pretty much every quest you can fail. Uh, you can accidentally kill or blow really? up a lot of the people you're trying to help. Uh, there's a lot of divergent paths. It's almost like every, there's like a, these quest lines, so these story arcs, these mini story arcs that can be completely failed and you'll be constantly reminded of these failures or your choices throughout the game. That's really old school. You don't see people doing that much anymore. Oh, it had an extreme old school feel. Uh, yeah, you could, uh, and you'll see it in the cons area, and I didn't, Incredibly mind doing a bug into that later is quick save often because you may not like an outcome and you say, well, I'm just not going to accept that outcome. You know, uh, I'm going to quick load and try the different path. Keep in mind too, you could take the path you know is the one you don't want, see just for grins and giggles what it would be, and then quick load back and then quick take the path you wanted to take. Cut, uh, uh, does it give you sometimes situations where? Either outcome would be okay, but they're both very different. Like, I was like, oh, I kind of like this guy, but I kind of like that guy too, and only one of them could live type situations? Constantly. You're constantly faced with ethical choices. Um, right at the beginning, you have to choose between saving one city or another city. And when you go to visit that second city that you didn't save, that city's entirely different. You're dealing with the aftermath of it uh, being wiped out. That's nice. Welcome to the game. By the way, a bunch of people are gonna die. Choose who. Uh... Uh -huh. Yeah, and you're constantly reminded that you didn't save Highpool. You saved Ag Center instead. <laughs> um, and of course, all the NPCs you would have met at Highpool are dead, and all the ones at Ag Center that hopefully you saved because you can still kill them there too. Because if you suck too bad. Um, well, that yeah, adds but... some definitely an instant replayability. You could play through it with the other's team, you know. Yes, there's there's definitely. I would. Uh, I I can see myself playing this again. Uh, after, you know, my mind kind of forgets a lot of it in, you know, four or five years and give it another go and try to take different paths. It's kind of funny, too, is I remembered a lot of the Wasteland 1 story arc, which they refer to a lot. Oh, uh, they, cool. This takes place about 15 years later. It's an amazing uh, transition from the old story to the new story. They did a fantastic job. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. So a great music soundtrack. It was very uh, immersive. It pulled you in. And I already said the voice acting is great. 
And the tactical combat, uh, very engaging. Uh, I found myself uh, uh, either, uh, I probably, there's some balancing issues with the game where I think that uh, it seemed like in the beginning was really difficult. The, the middle part of the game was pretty, uh, pretty well balanced. And then when I got towards the end of the game, I was, I noticed I was a little too powerful where the, the last probably 20% of the game was a little too easy. And I, I almost worry that if I went to one difficulty level higher, the beginning portion of the game would have been far too difficult. So, um, yeah, uh, I think I'll experiment with higher difficulty levels when I play it again, just to see, but, uh, I, I recommend people maybe trying to step it up to, I always pick the average difficulty to begin with, maybe above average. Yeah. Whenever I'll play a game, I always go for normal difficulty. I kind of envisioned that as the, uh, like what the developers meant the game to be played at and other higher difficulties are for like your hardcore players and easier difficulties are, uh, those for you know couldn't really hack it. But then again, it also depends on the game. Some games, hard is actually the developer intended difficulty. Just depends on the game. But that's kinda but that is a good question on if the way it was balanced out, if the ending would have been okay at that point. But then again, you said uh you had like hundred and two hours into this game. Hello? I hear him not. Sorry, I, I was instead of hitting the talk button, I was hitting the delete button, and I deleted all my slides. So uh, I just undeleted them all, and now I'm talking. All right, yeah, the uh, well, you said you had 100, 102 hours into it, so it's possible maybe you actually had done a lot more than the game expected you to do, and so that's why you were overpowered? Yes. Um, if I was on a fast track, because uh, keep in mind when you're going through the overworld, overland map, there's random encounters. And I would never run from a random encounter. And that's experience every single time. So I was getting gobs and gobs of experience then uh, through random encounters. So uh, yeah, I definitely uh, probably made a lot of extra levels then. And also, every single one of my characters took a perk. I can't remember what it was called, but I would have one less skill point for the first 10 levels, then plus one skill point for every remaining level. Well, it turns out the skill cap is level 50. Uh, so, I'm sorry, the level cap is level 50. So that was 10 levels of one less skill point. The next 10 levels, I finally get up to where I'm breaking even. And the next 30 levels, I'm making one extra skill point per level. So that probably uh, uh, helped greatly as well. Oh, well, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, next time I won't try to bump myself up too much. No, I mean, if you're having fun, that's absolutely what you should do, man. Uh, I know when I'm loving a game, I will go through to every side quest, every little nook and cranny of it before I hit the boss, and I'll walk in there overpowered like a boss and slap him around for a bit and feel good about myself. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of nice to finally feel a little bit powerful right at the end of the game just to see come to full circle. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh... Because the, or I had a point I was going to make. Well, yeah, I could tell, like, if I'm not really into, like, an RPG or something, well, you know, I'm not really enjoying it that much, but I want to get to the end. I'll just, like, screw it, burn straight to the end. End boss will be hard as hell, but I beat him. Like, all right, all right, barely won. But I don't care. I'm done with this game. I experienced the story. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of how I was with Shadowrun. 
so that yeah the tactical combat they include things like cover uh, and line of sight uh, very important uh, and of course altitude gives you advantages for uh, uh, better hit chance and stuff as well uh, you have uh, lobbed weapons uh, a lot of different weapon types with different range levels melee weapons uh, and of course all the way back to sniper rifles then you have energy weapons which do more damage for conductive armor, less damage for uh, non-conductive armor. Um, so uh, a lot of things to consider in combat, which uh, added to the tactical nature of it. Uh, custom character design. I love the character design. It was uh, really made you like you had full control of your character's design. Uh, very happy with it. Lots of skill options. That's combat skills and knowledge skills. Uh, and as you progress up your skill tree for each of your isn't really a tree your skill uh, list for each of your uh, your skills you'll get a perk every now and then you get to pick a perk from your perk list uh, and you get a lot of perks to choose from to kind of further customize your character is it possible though with that many skill choices to completely nerf yourself and like make a really horrible build and you're useless yes yeah, so you start with uh, four characters and you can have three npcs so it's odd but you can have seven characters in your party um, and then you can also have these little tag-alongs that you don't have control on. They act kind of like pets. You can have a handful of those as well. But uh, yes, if you do not balance your characters, uh, you could greatly nerf yourself. But on the other side, when we get to the cons, I'll explain to you how you possibly could um, by, like if you were all to pick all the same thing, it could actually benefit you if you picked the right thing. That's something I didn't like about the game. But uh, yeah, there's, because you have different, uh, like, for instance, let's say if you didn't pick anybody with lock picking, well, then you're not going to be getting a lot of loot because you need to be able to pick a lot of locks to get into them. But you can work around lock picks by bashing containers open. Oh, good. But, yeah, but if uh, you didn't level that up high enough, then, you know, when the lock breaks, oh, darn it, I didn't succeed in picking the lock, the lock broke, and I got to try to bash it open. Or I got to try to use my mechanic skill to fix the lock, so then I can try to pick the lock again. You know, so it's uh, uh, a lot of things to consider, a lot of different skills that kind of work uh, with each other to uh, open up chests. And of course, if you try to blow up the chest with TNT, for instance, you're probably going to blow up what's inside the chest. So uh, you know, it's, unless it's a quest item, likely it'll still be there. Oh, all right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, uh... I actually kind of like when they give you the option of bashing these open, and it makes sense. Like you could, you know, break something inside. It does annoy me. I have seen games where, like, you bash open the chest and you break the magic sword plus eight. It's like, shouldn't the magic sword plus eight be able to resist me breaking open a wooden box? Yeah, you would think. You would think. Apparently not. <laughs> it got scratched. Who wants a scratched magic sword? That's crap. Throw it away. There's an order of operations too, and you got this beautiful chest in front of you and all the stuff inside. So if you detect that, if your perception skill detects that it's trapped, meaning it's got a bomb on it, well, step one, disarm bomb. Don't start picking the lock until you've disarmed the bomb. Just a little hint there. That's a good pro tip advice right there. Uh-huh. All right, let's go to the cons of the game. All right, so there's a, quite a few different weapon types. You know, you can go from... Um, Anything from pistols to shotguns to uh, heavy weapons like a M60 uh, to SMGs to assault rifles, uh, energy weapons, and then sniper rifles. And 
and then anything else is kind of like a TNT grenades, RPGs, those kind of things. Those are considered more like uh, uh, one-time use weapons. They're disposable, like consumables. So, so they're not your main weapon type. All right. And there aren't associated skills to those. So, uh, so the main weapon types, if you were to pick all four of your characters, you made them all snipers and all uh, having the medical and surgeon abilities, uh, you likely would be unstoppable uh, all through the game and definitely early on in the game. Oh, wow. Snipers are extremely powerful. Uh, you always seem to have access to a really good sniper rifle to upgrade to, and uh, which oft is a one-shot kill, uh, and you always start off your combat every single time with your snipers opening up, of course, then all the enemies rush into you after you've, uh, hopefully you weren't ambushed, of course. Yeah. And, and you, your men are already set up tactically, so when they charge in, you're already behind cover, that kind of stuff. And uh, I chose one, my, my sniper happened to be my surgeon and my medic. And unfortunately, that's when quick save is really, really important because if I'm ambushed and they kill my sniper slash medic slash surgeon first. You're kind of boned. I am completely boned. So I definitely made sure that one of my NPCs, uh, since you can have three NPCs that come with you, was also a, a medic and a surgeon. And uh, so you could probably have anywhere from uh, six to eight skills uh, per character, where by the end of the game, you've maxed them out. Uh, so if you, at the beginning of the game, you spread out all your skills across all your characters, uh, you'll be pretty happy by the end where you say, okay, now I'm a master of everything. But if you don't take certain skills or you double up on skills too much, you may not master some skills and you'll be missing some content in the game. All right, that makes sense. Uh, I'm curious about the picture here. Is that an actual goat like attacking you or as a party member? <laughs> so the, the goats in the game are just one of quite a few different creature types you can tame with the uh, uh, animal... Uh, uh, husbandry skill, I forget what it's called, animal instincts maybe. Um, and, or animal handler, I, I can't remember. But the the goats, when I saw that picture, I was like, oh, I gotta put this one in. <laughs> the goats, everything's been slightly altered in this uh, nuclear wasteland kind of aspect. And the goats have this hideous cry. It's so annoying. Yes, you can tame one. And yes, you can have it following you, but I guarantee you that's going to last about five minutes and you're going to get so sick of it. You're, you're, you're going to hear to... the bawling at you over and over again? Oh, yeah. And it's like a shriek. It's like, Aah! I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's re really loud. So, and I'm sure they just did it for fun. And when you ever walk into an area that's got lots of goats, it's, <laughs> you try to get out of that area as quick as possible or you eventually just mute your speakers while you're in it. because It's really obnoxious, but it's really funny too. Oh jeez, I'm next. I, I find that hilarious, but I. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the cons also uh, minor but infrequent uh, bugs and crashes. Uh, fortunately, there wasn't a single crash that I was able to immediately reload the game and pick up right where I left off if I'd saved recently. Um, and I got in the habit of saving every you know 27 seconds. Uh, I mean, you had to save all that time. I should get in that one, but. Um, but yeah, the crashes, nothing ever made my computer crash. You know, so I was able to recover instantly and just keep playing. That's good. Yep. And I don't know it still sucks the... having crashes, of course, but you know. Yeah, yeah, true. But you know, 
not nothing too bad. You know, I got an SSD on the on the new computer, and it, the game reloads super fast. So, um, so fighting the cameraman, uh, camera angles on this uh, isometric view. Uh, you can zoom in, and as you zoom in, you come down to probably about a 45 degree angle. Uh, and then as you zoom out, you probably are almost facing straight down, but you're probably maybe 80 degrees, you know, not 90 degrees above. Yeah. And the, uh, and then you can pan around at whatever zoom level you're at. So you get a simulated kind of, a lot of different angles and views. You can see everything. You can never get a full straight across the plane of the ground and you never get a full 90 degrees straight above, but you can get a few things at a lot of angles. But unfortunately, when you're like in more confined areas, like uh, underground passages and uh, it's called dungeons, I guess, um, where there's walls and there's no real uh, rendered environment outside the walls, Right, right. The, the walls are constantly blocking your view, and you, you feel like you're constantly fighting the camera just to see what's going on. And uh, when you walk into, say, if you're in the outdoors area and you walk into a building, the building's roof becomes transparent and everything's fine. Buildings work pretty well. But just those underground areas were really kind of difficult to, to keep your views of your camera around. And often, where you would think, and this isn't really a camera problem, it's more of a line of sight issue. I probably should have put this as a separate con. Uh, I'll put this with bugs. How about that? Uh, right. Line of sight uh, is a common issue where you're like, how did that guy shoot me just now? I mean, the, he just shot through, you know, 20 feet. He cut a corner 20 feet through a wall. Oh, I hate and, that. Yeah, so uh, that happens uh, more frequently, unfortunately, than not. And you get used to the kind of areas that, aren't really uh, good cover areas uh, and you stop using this cover eventually. Uh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, hopefully in uh, the new version because of Wasteland 3 or Wasteland 2, Episode 2, uh, whatever's coming out next, uh, uh, hopefully they, uh, you know, their budget's obviously going to be a little bit better since this game was so successful. So hopefully they enhance their engine a lot more. They, I mean, they made it in Unity. So I hope they, uh, you know, work out those little bugs more and more. Yeah, I hope so. So quick saves. Uh, yeah, I, I, I estimate I had 1,237,522 quick saves. Uh, somewhere plus or minus 10, maybe. So uh, it's uh, really important to do this because there's a lot of times they insert content that's ridiculous funny that you're they know you're going to be quick loading after it occurs you know <laughs> you know like where your party just instantly dies you know like i walk into a museum and there's a a, a nuke on display you know who would think it was a live nuke right you wouldn't think so it's a museum for gosh sake right so when you push the red button on the display you don't expect it to explode i mean come you on. think like an audio this is a nuclear bomb it was used for <laughs> so no your party dies and uh you know it, it's actually in the Ra desert rangers headquarters too and it has a sad story how you destroyed all hope for humanity and stuff like that so it's it's pretty good of course then you kind of say why is there an act an unguarded nuclear weapon with a simple push button on it to kill everyone there <laughs> well yeah they would be stupid enough to push it an easily accessible fully working non-labeled 
Well, it was red. You don't press red <laughs> buttons. Everyone knows that. So overall, though, I just think the game uh, needs more balancing and polish uh, to be a perfect game. But I loved uh, almost every minute of it. Uh, the story just kept me going, made me laugh out loud many, many times. So uh, I was really, uh, really happy with it. Oh, that's good. But, if, I mean, how much does it require balance and polish? I mean, is that the point where you would tell someone, ah, I'd wait because I think there's a better edition coming out? Um like how with the crash, you said it's minor frequent for bugs and crashes, but that has done with balance and polish. What would you like to see polished? Like character models, uh, weapons, movements. So graphics, I was perfectly happy with. Story perfect, voice acting, other than the two voice actors. Uh, yeah, all of all the pros are perfect. Nothing needs improvement. Uh, I really the line of sight issues, the bugs, uh, definitely. Crashes didn't happen frequently enough for me to worry about it. Fighting the cameraman, definitely. So, um, Which is funny, because usually in an isometric game, fighting the camera is not that big an issue because you are kind of locked into a view. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah the, so imagine Diablo, but you can pan around 360 degrees to see it at all angles. Yeah. And you need that in this game because not everything turns invisible for you to see what's going on. That's kind of a pain. Yeah, so right in the beginning, and it, you get used to fighting it, though. Uh, I would say the first hour uh, was me kind of getting used to the interface, and after the next 101 hours, you know, I was I was used to it, but every now and then it would annoy me, especially in the underground scenes. Oh, yeah, I can imagine underground scenes would be really painful with that. Yeah, because there's such tight quarters, and they the walls block so much of your view, it, it can be difficult. All right, well, let's move on a little so, bit. Yeah, I got a, a picture here of uh, uh, this is a uh, combat's been engaged. And you'll see that uh, your party's kind of at the bottom of the screen in the white circles. And uh, the white circle with the star in it, that's the character that's currently got uh, the ability to go. It's their turn. And you get an idea here in the light blue area. That's where they can move within this combat round. Uh, they would have, if they stayed within that blue area, they would have enough action points to actually still fire the weapon that's currently equipped. And the yellow and, would be like the full movement? Yeah, if they wanted to rush, rush, dash off to get, you know, uh, cover way off in the distance because maybe they're injured or they're trying to do something tactical. Uh, but uh, speed is definitely an important attribute in this game um, because speed lets you expand out these areas. You know, that yellow line becomes further out, the blue line becomes further out, and you get a lot more options tactically with your character if you don't sacrifice speed. Of course, your heavy weapons guy is always going to slow down because that weapon equipped. Well, more. yeah, heavy weapons guys are always slow because, you know, they kill everything. But, uh, yeah, all in all, though, really cool tactical interface. Really enjoyed it. All right, very cool. So, so in final analysis... Final analysis, I will give it four stars. Uh, the polish, of course, uh, is the one thing that's keeping it for you, making it a perfect game, in my opinion. Uh, I was super uh, happy with it. I enjoyed the game thoroughly, and I recommend it to everyone. Cool. Very nice. That was a pretty in-depth uh, little analysis of that game. Oh, thanks. And I noticed, too, all my slides formatting all got torqued up. Uh, when I saved it, it was saving from one 
version of PowerPoint to another, and it looks like all the spacing is off a little bit. That still works. It's all right. So you would say definitely buy it if it's like you know under fifteen bucks. Well, I mean, I'm not in such a rush to get a game that I'm going to pay you know forty, fifty, sixty bucks for a game. You know, so uh, fourteen bucks is what I got it for about a month ago. And uh, I'm betting it'll be on sale at that level soon. I actually bought it on GOG, not on Steam, but uh, they tend to match a lot. And uh, but I expect it to drop to ten dollars pretty soon, if not by Christmas. That'd be pretty nice. But that's of course if you're into you know tactical-based games and you know RPGs, uh, kind of an old style of it, RPG with a lot of questing and actual consequences for your actions. Yeah, if, if you're more into the, uh, maybe you just turn-based tactical games really bore you and you would much prefer real-time strategy, maybe it's not the game for you. Uh, if uh, immersive story, you don't really want to read all the quests and you want an absolute perfect tactical game, then maybe the line of sight issues would bother you too much to play it uh, and the balancing issues. Uh, but if you like a good mix and you want some good intriguing story that makes you laugh a lot and... Uh, is a page turner like a good book, then I highly recommend it. All right, very cool. And let's see. Well, thank you very much for your review of Wasteland 2. It is greatly appreciated. It makes you, it actually intrigues me about the game because I'd seen stuff on it, but never gone too in depth on it. So thank you very much for that. All right. So, actually, speaking of Shard of the Avatar, real quick. Uh, did you see that? I saw they have like a, a new trial going on or something. Yeah, actually, uh, from the sixth to the tenth, the um, it's the second time. The first time they were basically just testing the mechanic for a free trial uh, to make sure it's all working, and now this is uh, another one they're running. It's uh, games get a lot better press now. People are starting to see the waves of polish. Things are getting uncloned. A lot of cool mechanics are getting introduced. Uh, I got a lot to say about Shroud. Uh, I'm going to put it off to a later episode, but uh, we're going to get be getting bum rushed with waves of content. Uh, expect those uh, reviews to go up, and uh, I've heard nothing but uh, outstanding response to uh, the content that's been flooding in since release 38. We've just been getting really quick releases that has been a lot, have been a lot of content additions. Oh, very cool. All right, well, let's move on then, since that's where we're at, and let's talk about something else. Let's talk about little nerdy hearts. Let us talk about... Yes, Garthon's comic poll, where I, Garthon, talk about the comics I've pulled. Well, three of them this week. Every week, talk about three. And so... The first book we're going to talk about this week. There's kind of a minor theme this week on the books I chose. Um, it's not a hard theme to figure out. But first one, The Uncanny Avengers number 22. This is a series I thought would get canceled earlier because it doesn't quite fit with the normal Marvel stuff. But it's been a good book. I've enjoyed almost every issue. Uh, the first issues, honestly, I thought were kind of rough. Well, I take that back. When the series was first introduced, I had a different art style, and it was very weird in what they were doing. 
much more epic in scope, and I really liked it. And then it, they went through some series of Marvel, redid all their ones, and this series became totally different. And they just kind of dropped the last series mid-plot line. As far as I know, I've never explained what happened. And no one seemed to care. Which was weird, because it was actually it was really intriguing the way they were going. But they dropped it, re- rebooted it, and it's still been pretty interesting since then. Yeah, it just changed what voice lobby I was in on Discord all of a sudden. I don't remember pressing anything to tell it to do that. But Some crazy knows? hotkey or something. Yeah, who knows what I did. But, anywhere. Uh, the original Uncanny Avengers, like I said, it changed. But it's been 22 issues since the reboot. And it's been a weird but interesting series. Uh, ups and downs on it. You know, it's high, high points and low points. This is the series that's been dealing with the weirdness of the Red Skull... Stealing Professor Xavier, dead Professor Xavier's brain, attaching it to his own, and getting Professor X's mental powers. Uh, most of me hates that, but there I must admit there's a small, you know, bad sci-fi loving part of me that just gets a little giggle out of that. You know, taking his brain and attaching it to his own is just freaking stupid and ridiculous, and a part of me appreciates that. I'm not going to say I completely hate it. Part of me appreciates just how insane that is. Most of me does not. <laughs> but it's been uh, that plotline has been surprisingly well written. And for a long time, it was only talked about in this series. But recently, it's actually kind of shown up in other series like Captain America. And a few others, mainly revolving around... The whole Captain America's past can be written to where he's a member of Hydra and like when they're key members and best friends with Baron Zemo and stupid crap like that. Anyway, on back to this, the important thing that we're talking about right here. In Uncanny Avengers number 22, which was written by Gary Duggan and art by Pepe Larraz, who did not do the cover, but it looks pretty similar anyway. In the last issue, it was actually pretty entertaining, I thought. The For a quick sum up, the Unity Squad, which is the Uncanny Avengers, a mix of mutants and Avengers. A few couple of humans in there, too. To show unity between them all, they're called the Unity Squad, which is kind of a stupid name, but hey, whatever. They uh, attacked Red Skull... And having mental powers, he, uh, you know, as Deadpool and Rogue attacked him, you know, came at him, he just, you know, mind-controlled Rogue and had her beat the snot out of everyone because Rogue can do that. You can't mind-control Deadpool. Um, Because of the way his regeneration works, the instant you try to mind-control him, his mind rewrites the pathways, so you actually cannot mind-control him. You can't even read his mind. It's just a mess. That's interesting. You know what's kind of odd, though? Huh. You wouldn't expect him to play nice with others. How does he? How is he on a super team? Deadpool's on multiple teams. Um, do you want to know? Do you want to know how? I'll tell you how. Um, real world meta how is uh, Deadpool sells comics. That's how. Uh, the other thing that is, <laughs> in the comics over the years, he has very much mellowed. Um, he's still the merc for money. 
He still will do anything for a buck, just about. He's still incredibly violent. But years ago, they actually revealed like his biggest hero is Captain America. He knows he'll never be that good, but he kind of tries in his own way. He knows he's not as good a person. Well, he's a better person now. Um, he's always wanted to be an X-Man. He's a mutant. He, kind of, he wants to, but he's too much of an outsider and not trusted enough. But his inclusion on the Uncanny Avengers team was actually at the insistence of Captain America saying, I trust him. And that's all most people needed to hear. Of course, ever since Captain America has turned, you know, been, his background has turned evil, in this issue they it is revealed that Captain America purposely set the team up to fail. That they shouldn't have succeeded in anything. He wanted them to be a time bomb. He wanted them to fail. And that's one of the reasons why Deadpool's on the team. Um, which is ridiculous, and that was stupid. But honestly, he was on the team because Deadpool sells 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 comics, and he's highly entertaining in this team. But previous issue, um, as Deadpool reaches Skull, uh, Red Skull, Russell Hunters had Rogue beat the living snot out of him. And while this, ha- and you know, he's about to you know be killed essentially, and he says, "You know, Skull, let me tell you something before I die." He's like, "Yeah, go ahead, whatever." And it tells a story about him going through and like looking through the X-Men's past and what's going on. He's like, the one thing the X-Men do is they collect things. So I visit the mansion in Westchester, where where it used to be. And I picked a little, little souvenir. And then he like, like from his pack, he pulls out Magneto's helmet, slaps it on a rogue's head. Because if you remember your comic history, Magneto's helmet blocks Professor X's mind control and mind reading. Yeah. So it slaps on a rogue's head, which easily breaks the mind control. So actually, you it is then revealed by Rogue that that was actually their plan to get close to him. That, you know, they expected him to mind control her. Huh. or And that only Deadpool could get close enough, but he'd have the whole team kill Deadpool. So that was actually kind of the plan to get next to him. So as soon as that happens, he's like, oh no, protect me! And, you know, Rogue, you know, beats the snot of her in the way, captures Red Skull, uh, they fly him, usually flies him to Hank McCoy, the beast, and says, all right, prep for surgery. He's like, oh, my stars and garters, because they had to throw that line in, because it's a classic. It's his catchphrase, sort of. I guess it is his catchphrase, isn't it? Anyway. Um, so this issue, the surgery happens. They pull Professor X's brain off the Red Skull. The Red Skull still lives. He survives. And then Captain America show up, shows up. It's like, whoa, all right, ah, wow, good job. Oh, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, team. They're like, whoa, whoa, you you tried to disband us. Like, yeah, in my opinion, you're still disbanded. You know, but I'm head of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and this is not an incident. And, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. will be taking Red Skull. It's like, oh, fine, we don't care. We're done with them anyway. And they're like, and, uh, you know, Rogue, you got to give me uh, Professor X's brain. It's considered a weapon of mass destruction. She's like, hell yeah, try and get it. And, of course, flies off. You know, she's, you know, Rogue, for gosh sake. And then uh, once she gets out, you know, out of airspace, you know, she calls up Human Torch, who flies out there, and they cremate Professor X's brain so it can never be used again for evil. So now it's going to be even more absurd if they bring him back. There's always a way. They could clone him. They could retcon him. I think they're already planning on retconning him back into existence. But anyway... They can go back in the past and get him before he was killed. You know? That's what they oh, did sure. with the other core X-Men. Went back to this past and got him before they became dicks. So, you know, mainly Cyclops. Um, 
so anyway. And then, of course, you know, it shows Red Skull going after Captain America. Captain, and he's like, wow, did you let these happen? Because Red, far as Red Skull's concerned, Cap is working for him. And he's kind of delirious and not aware, like, oh, I should keep this still on the down low that Cap's working for me and stuff. Um, so an inter- it was an interesting issue. Lots of stuff going on. Um, this they revealed like a budding romantic relationship between Deadpool and Rogue, which, ugh, I guess, sigh, whatever. Isn't Deadpool married? I thought he was married. I don't know. I don't know if enough about Deadpool history. I'm pretty sure he's married to someone else. The girl in the movie was pretty hot. I hope he married her. No, that's Typhoid Mary. Is that Typhoid Mary? It's some crazy assassin chick. The girl in the movie? Yeah. Well, that might be interesting for Deadpool 2, maybe, that she develops into that. But uh, you know, I don't remember he... if Typhoid Mary is some villain. She's actually some villain. Copycat. Copycat. That's who she is. Mm. Yeah, so that's actually Copycat. She's actually a supervillain. So she might come back as Copycat, um, which incidentally, this is a... Uh, Little nerd RNG. The first appearance of Deadpool, of uh, sorry, Domino in Marvel Comics, the recognized first appearance is technically incorrect because the first time you actually see Domino, it's actually Copycat pretending to be Domino, and the actual Domino doesn't show up for quite a while. That's kind of interesting. I wonder how people take that for uh, the value of the comic. Everyone just says the first time that Domino shows up is Domino's first appearance. Later, because honestly, when it was written, that was meant to be Domino's first appearance. Later, it was retconned, because uh, Deadpool came back and started calling her Vanessa. It's like, no, it's Domino. Like, yeah, whatever, Vanessa. And at first you think, oh, that must be her real name, and then it turns out, no, that's actually Copycat, and Deadpool knows, and ends up like, that's why he's trying to kill her. He's like, why are you trying to kill Domino? You know, and he's, you know, not telling them why. So, anyway... But that's uh, neither here nor there. So there are actually some people saying, no, that's not the first church of Domino. This is. And it was like, dude, um, this, they call her Domino. It looks like Domino. It's a full screen. It's kind of like the original first appearance of Wolverine. Um, it's listed usually as Hulk, but 171. But it's actually the issue before he actually first appears. Yeah, 180 is his cameo, and 181 is his full appearance. Right. They call it first appearance. But in 180, it shows his He's fully on page. It's not just like a shadow. He's fully there, and he's named. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's he... first appearance criteria. And yeah, so it, it's – yeah, so a lot of people are like, no, that's actually his first appearance, but the recognized first appearance is the one with the classic cover of him fighting you know, Hulk with Wendigo in the background. But Yeah, he got um... – Probably one-tenth the value for that uh, cameo appearance compared to the next issue. Right, absolutely. And, you, and of course, the hardcore nerds will complain, that's not the real first appearance. And it's like, dude, no one cares. This is a recognized first appearance. Kind of like the first appearance of Venom is listed as Amazing Spider-Man 300. But in Amazing Spider-Man 299, you actually see him the first time. But he's not named. But that's the first time you see it and know it's him because he actually, like, Mary Jane turns around. It's like, Peter? And then you like, see this big smile split his face, split the Spider-Man face, which is was just the creepiest thing when I was a kid when I read that for the first time. Because I was like, wow, Spider-Man looks, like, really, really buff. And then, like, that wicked grin with big toothy grin that like, splits the mask. It's like, whoa, okay, that's just creepy. 
McFarland drew that one, right? Yep, that was McFarland. That was McFarland Gold at the time. Yeah, yeah, he does teeth really well. Yeah, well, I loved his version of Venom. I hated Mark Bagley's Venom because that's when Venom got a whole bunch of giant teeth and a super extended jaw and green drool everywhere and a giant tongue everywhere, and it was stupid. Um, and that was Bagley's fault. And it's freaking stupid. I hate it. I hate his Venom. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, yeah, yeah, the big, huge tongue isn't very convenient when you got real huge, sharp teeth. Exactly. It's freaking stupid. And on top, some people just love that, the big drooly Venom thing and with his tongue hanging out. I just think it looks ridiculous. I liked the original McFarlane Venom where he just had some big, creepy teeth, and it's mainly just to creep people out, you know? It wasn't because he needs to eat through that mouth. He doesn't. And it was actually drawn like it was like a mask over a face, not like all of a sudden Eddie Brock's face cut in half to make room for the big Venom mouth, which other people like to draw it that way. And the excuse became, well, this man has to overcome his body. It actually shapes his body or whatever stupid crap they come with. Anyway, back to Avengers 22. Uh, I'm going to hear about that RNG in the middle of a review again. Um... So, uh, it's an interesting book, lots going on, um, and it ties into very well into the Captain America comic, which was interesting to me, because they've kind of ignored that continuity, it ties in really tightly. Um, I think they're actually doing that on purpose a lot right now, a lot of Captain America stuff, they're trying to make sure everything ties in real tight right now, because the next big Marvel event is Secret Empire, where... Cap is going to try and, like, help Hydra take over the world. Yep, which is dumb because of the stupid rewrite of his history that the Cosmic Cube did. But on the positive – wait, let me finish this first. I like this book. Uh, I thought the art was super solid. Uh, I thought the character did really well, even uh, down to Janet Van Dyne's Wasp, actually bringing up stuff that happened in past issues as to why she didn't want to keep hanging out with the team. Because if th- in this issue, they're kind of talking about dissolving the team. Like, the only reason... Captain America dissolved the team officially. It's no longer an official Avengers team. And the only reason they were still together was to get the Red Skull. And after that, they have no reason to hang out. And so they're actually like, talking about dissolving the team. They're, like, going to go out for drinks. And, you know, the Wasp is like, you know, I've had too many team breakup hangovers at this point. I'm kind of over it. I'm just going to go, you know. Um... But it's teasing an issue after this, so who knows. But I, I liked the book a lot. It was consistent. It was well. It tied up a lot of loose ends. And my favorite part, it got rid of psychic power Red Skull. Thank God. Um, you can't beat that. That gets a star alone just for ending the ridiculous, the year-long ridiculousness. Years long. That has been Red Skull the Man with Two Brains. Gosh, it's been like two or three years he's had that brain now. I cannot believe how long they've kept that going. Anyway, they finally get rid of it. I'm glad they got rid of it. I uh, really liked the issue. Don't like the Deadpool rogue romance. But, hey, who cares? Especially because, like, all right. In this, Deadpool kissed, kissed Dead, uh, sorry, Rogue kissed Deadpool. So she absorbed his powers. So all of a sudden he looked you know, handsome and normal looking and she started getting all hideous and deformed from his weird regeneration. In Exiles, when Mimic copied Deadpool's regeneration, because that power was so strong, he could never get rid of it. 
So what's I what's gonna go on with that? Has Rogue ever encountered somebody she could truly have a relationship with and not absorb their powers? Uh well uh from what I understand, I thought she was able to control that now, but I guess not. Um in Age of Apocalypse, she was married to Magneto because Magneto would always keep a barrier between him and her. So they're never actually physically able to touch. In There was some alternate timeline where she was married to Gambit because he was able to keep a kinetic field between them, like a micrometer thick. Um, trying to think. And no, actually there's been no one, unless there was someone who was able to dampen her powers. You know? Mm-hmm. But as far yeah, as I like, know, like Leech, I think there was some occasional storyline where she's able to kiss somebody when Leech was around. Right, um, right. But uh, yeah, uh, th- she was always an intriguing character. She was, but I, but I honestly, uh, my X Men history isn't the tightest. But I thought she had learned to control that, and that wasn't an issue anymore. Or maybe it wasn't for a while, and now it is again. But apparently, it is again. You know. But. Whatever. Whatever. Don't care. Uh, don't care for that relationship. To me, it doesn't make much sense because Rogue and Deadpool have never gotten along, but now he's intriguing. I don't know. Whatever. Um, anyway, I like the book on that. Uh, I, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. doesn't quite deserve four or five star status, but it's definitely an above average comic. I enjoyed it. Tied up a lot of loose ends. Uh, three and a half out of five. Yeah, I liked it. Uncanny Avengers number 22. Oh, but since we're not in the middle of a review right now, uh, Marvel's big thing coming up is Secret Empire, where Red Skull, uh, sorry, Captain America's Hydra tries to take over the world, and some heroes are actually going to help Captain America out because they think Captain America is goodness and right, and they don't know that his history has been rewritten to where he's Hydra Boy. And other heroes are going to be sensible and stand against him. And it looks like it's being set up to try and make Captain Marvel look good after she looked so freaking horrible and stupid after the last major event. Um, Secret War 2. So when, so when somebody's history is rewritten, uh, the people that would have experienced that history would know how he is? Ah, no, no. They rewrote like like his 1950s history. So... All the time he was actually fighting for the Allies in World War II, he was secretly working for Hydra. Ooh. Yeah, they've they've gone through some great pains in the Captain America book to differentiate how it's okay that he was still punching Nazis but still trying to help Hydra. Because the, Hydra's trying was trying to take over the world, and they ended up getting according to the, the new history, Hydra's trying to take over the world. Uh, but they were trying to do it peacefully through social influences. Kind of what's shown in the uh, Captain America 2 movie, right? Trying to control politically, uh, get agents in place, and control the world, and control everyone's patterns. So, a young Steve Rogers was brought into that because they saw potential in him. And then, some of the leaders of Hydra started going, you know what, these Nazis are got it going on, man. And other leaders of Hydra were like, whoa, 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 no, these Nazis are too violent. Like, yeah, yeah, but they're winning. They're right, man. Like the Superman, like, no, no, that's wrong. Uh, We need to control the world our own way, not their way. So it caused a schism in Hydra. uh, But the Nazis ended up taking over Hydra. And that's why 
he was still punching the Nazis, but then secretly, like, he'd be going back to, you know, his Hydra bosses, you know, like, all right, here's where the Allies are going to be moving next, you know. It, it's terrible. So basically, like, the whole time he's playing at being a hero, when he's actually, like, a horrible evil Hydra villain, it, it's, and in no way squares with what happened, you know. But they're trying to, they went through great pains to try and make it look like it did, you know. So, I'll give him points for trying, but it's still, as a Captain America fan or anyone who, like, has a memory, it just drives you nuts the way they're trying to go through all these conniptions. The only way they're going to be able to fix this is either alternate dimensions, more time travel, or he was a triple agent. Well, they're going to fix it uh, in Secret Empire because they've already shown what's happening after Secret Empire is the big the big news to me was they promised after the new major world-changing crossover thing is they're not going to be doing another one of these for 18 months. Because they've been doing like two a year, and it's getting a little annoying. A lot annoying. So they promised, okay, 18 months we're not doing these stupid things again. Because everyone told, has said, and every single survey we've done, they're tired of it. Well, here's the thing. Everyone says they're tired of it, but they buy it. So, uh, you know, it still sells. Even. They have, I think, overall lost sales because of that stuff. Like, they'll see a sales spike from doing one of these big events, but the overall trend is down. And one of the main reasons people say they stop buying the comics is because of these stupid giant events. Um, and and the proliferation of issue ones. Like, every... I think last year, a lot of series had two number ones in the same year. It's insane. Yeah. But sales spike when there's a number one. The overall trend is down because people are tired of that crap. Kind of like uh, variant covers. There are people who will compulsively buy every cover of their favorite comic just because they feel they must have every variant cover of their favorite comic. And it's gotten out of hand to the point where some comics have over a hundred variant covers for one issue. That's insane. Huh? Yes, no joke. Wow. It's some insane. more rare than others. Oh, no, sure. yes. Some are like one in 10,000. So, like, there's two printed. It's insane. But, uh... But some people will buy a variant cover if they think it looks cool. Some feel they must have them all. But variant covers sell. They're pointless. They hurt collectability. They're... Oh, on the long term, a variant cover is no more collectible than a regular cover. On the long term. You know... Kind of nice. It seems like uh, when you get the digital copy, you get all the variant covers for the one price. Right, which is nice. Which you should anyway. But anyway, variant covers are another thing that... That's another argument. That needs to be stopped. But anyway, so they said no major event after 18 months. And with the proliferation of number ones, every single series is going back to its original numbering. So Captain America will be on issue 300-something, I think. Uh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, everyone loves that. Thor will be at issue like 900. Hulk will be at issue like 900. You know, everything's going back to their original numbering. As if, you know, these all these number ones didn't exist. Um, you know, it's bad to say, uh, can I get Thor number one? Uh, for what year? 2016? Well, there's two number ones that year. Oh, man. You know, so... that They're going back to the original numbering. And... The original heroes are coming back. The original Thor Odinson is going to come back as Thor. Tony Stark is going to come back as Iron Man. And Steve Rogers is going to be unnotified, unhydraized, good old-fashioned <laughs> Steve Rogers Captain America. So they're basically going to be erasing 
a lot of stuff that they've all the muckety muck for how long now? It's been years. But on the other hand, you're not kicking the like Fem Thor is not going away. They're not getting rid of female Thor. Um, she's still going to be around. Going to get her own series. She's a cool character. Her book sells where sells well, and it's been fun to read when I've read it. It's not a bad series, but I want to see Thor as Thor. You know, this other Thor is fine. She's cool. Um, Sam Wilson's Captain America has been a bad comic. You know, maybe it got good, but it was terrible when I was reading it. So I stopped reading after like eight issues. I couldn't take it. It was a bad book. Um, and that was when they got rid of Steve Rogers completely as Captain America. So it was just Sam Wilson, Captain America. And I fought every issue of Captain America for like 20 years. And they got me to stop buying it. So congratulations. Um, until they came out with Steve Rogers, Captain America, which I picked up and hated because in the first issue, she's like, Hail Hydra! And it seemed like they were trying to spit on everyone who liked the original Captain America. It's like, why aren't you buying our new Captain America? He's better. Um, anyway... Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man's not going anywhere. But it's really intriguing that they're actually bringing back all the original characters. Not all of them, but they're bringing back the original characters in their original roles. They're kind of like dialing back. I think they saw the success of DC's Rebirth, where they brought all the heroes kind of back to their roots. And was massively successful over the New 52 initiative. And Marvel's trying to get some action on that. I think it helps, too, where people are trying to enter into comic collecting. When they keep the main storylines going, keep the sequence of them going, it helps people get their head around continuity. Oh, right. Well, here's Thor, 1 through 947. I read them in order, and that'll be the story. Right. And, and the argument was made, well, people aren't going to want to buy that book because it has so many issues. They don't people understand all the continuity. You don't need to. You know, you buy the book because you think, wow, Thor is cool. And you see that's issue 900, you're like, wow, that's a lot of issues. I wonder what the past was. You know, you don't say, oh, that's too many issues. I can't. I'm not going to read that. You'll, like, start reading. If you like it, you'll say, oh, man, they just referenced Ulick the Troll. Who's that? You know, and so you can go back and look that up if you want to. And by going back to everything's issue one, you'll lose a lot of that, especially, like, rebooting stuff and saying, oh, that didn't exist. Well, you just murder continuity. You say stuff just didn't happen. Uh. Anyway. Yeah. And why would you go look for back issues on something if it's from a different continuity? You know? Right. Only the most hardcore collector is going to start doing that. Anyone who's a casual reader or even semi-hardcore is going to say, well, it doesn't matter because it doesn't have any bearing on what's happening now. And that kills you. Especially as a, even as a fan, it just kill. It's kind of like uh, why a lot of Star Trek fans hate the JJ verse. The new, uh, the new Star Trek films. Because it basically says, okay, all your Star Trek stuff doesn't matter. This is what matters. All that serious stuff, Next Generation, didn't happen, doesn't happen. Oh, Spock and her are now lovely, are now lovely, dovey, you know. It's like, ah, it's like, it feels like you're just taking a dump on what people have known and loved. They're not, whether or not they were trying to, that is debatable. Because um, J.J. made a lot of very questionable decisions with Star Trek. Um, I personally think his starship design, especially the designs of the bridge, just kind of take a giant crapper on what the original series was and what it was trying to establish. You know, that's personal opinion. But anyway, let's talk about the second comic book. <laughs> oh, I need to save this for RNG. Captain America number 15. Like I said, I was impressed with how much 
this issue actually tied into Uncanny Avengers. In fact, on the first page of Steve Rogers' Captain America issue number 15, it says this happens after the events of Uncanny Avengers 22. I haven't seen a Marvel book reference something like that in years. In the 70s and 80s, you saw it all the time. The events of this issue happened after, so there's continuity. This is the first time I've seen them care with Captain America in a long time. Ah, so I love that. But this issue was written by Nick Spencer with art by Javier Pena and Andres Giordano. Uh, this cover artist, Gabriel Delato, always good. So, um, Captain America has Red Skull. And you know, he takes Red Skull back to his house, you know, back to his castle, you know, actually slipping, breaking him out of Shield custody, surreptitiously, so no one knows Cap did it. Takes him back to his mansion, and Red, Captain America's like, "Oh, Skull, my master." He's like, "Ah, grovel for me later, Rogers. I need to come with a new plan. They took my. How did you let them take my power? I can't read anyone's mind anymore. They took my power, Rogers." And he's like, "Yeah, I know that was my plan." He's like, "What? You were never the head of Hydra. I work for Hydra." You were some bastard interloper who came in and took it over when they were weak. I'm the the head of Hydra. And he proceeds to beat the living hell out of Red Skull. Tell, he just had brain surgery, mind you. His head is held together with staples. He beats the hell out of him and throws him out of a fifth-story window onto some rocks where you see at the end his skull cracked open his brains leaking on the rocks. Yeah, he'll pull through. Yeah, well, yes, Red Skull. Um, he's been dead many times. But it's like, uh, why do you want me to hate Captain America so much? Okay, yeah, Red Skull deserves to die. He's a bad person. But why I don't want to see Captain America as a brutal thug. And that's what you have made him out to be. And then he goes in the back room where Red Skull's daughter, Sin, and Crossbones are there. They're like, was it quick? He's like, yeah. He's like, ah, oh, shouldn't have been. He deserved worse. He took over our beloved Hydra. It's like, no, it's okay. Now Hydra's in the hands of people it needs to be in. And then he meets up with the other leaders of Hydra, the new Madam well, new who and the new Madam Hydra who, according to new continuity, it was the original Madam Hydra from the forties. because um, apparently she's immortal or something. And a whole bunch of other heads of Hydra, like Arnim Zola, um, a bunch of other people. Hive, I think. And like they're gonna Make Hydra great again, or something. It's like, oh, ah. One way is kind of neat, but another way it's like, I just... How long is... Are you going to wipe your butt with Captain America Marvel? Why, 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 why? He's a very popular character in the movies. If you love the Captain America in the movies, and then you pick up a book, comic book, you are just going to be sorely disappointed. And that's been a complaint for years. It's like, how could you argue about you're making changes in the books so movie watchers will understand what's going on and then do this to Captain America? It's just awful. The only reason I forgive it is because it's a very obvious lead-in into the Secret Empire books, which we are promised will fix Captain America after doing this to him. But they've jacked Captain America for years now. Years. It started with them draining the super soldier serum from his body so that he became an old man, because that makes sense. And they'd done it before. He's lost the super soldier serum multiple times. Never has it turned him into an old man, but this time it did. Um, and then after 
they gave him his powers back. They did it, but but on the condition that now he's a bad guy. Oh God. Ah. It's depressing. It is. I mean, it's so bad that it made me feel sorry for Red Skull. I should never feel sorry for the Red Skull. And I did. That meant you failed as a comic book. Catfairic has not been a hero in so long. I'm only buying the book right now out of, I don't know, determination. I grit my teeth everywhere. I'm going to buy it anyway because I hopefully look, you know. Every other book that has been like this, well, the writing's actually been kind of good. I just don't like the character anymore. The writing, I can't, I can't say the writing's been bad. The dialogue's been pretty sharp. It's had some interesting plot twists. The art's been above standard. But I don't like any... I don't like Captain America. They have made me not like my favorite character. But it's still an interesting read. So congratulations on that. I just, you know... It would be like, hey, look, there's a Charles Manson comic now. Oh, boy. <laughs> sure, it might be well written and have good art, but it's about Charles Manson. You know. So are they trying to use a story element to reverse him when that uh, new storyline comes out? Or are they just saying, boom, he's back to the way he was? Uh, who knows? I'm guessing at the end of Secret Empire, what I'm guessing happens is that... Kobik, the personification of the co- power of the cosmic cube, decides, like through the event of all of everything going bad or whatever happens, that she decides what she did was wrong and that someone else has messed with the fabric of the universe and she's going to fix it and put everything back the way it was. That's what I'm guessing happens at the end of all this. In fact, it might even be so. Secret Empire might actually go the way that Hydra wins. And Kobik decides, just sees what happens then and decides it's so horrible that she can't take it and erases her own existence and puts everything back to how it was. That's entirely possible. Well, like the only way she could fix it is to delete herself. So that way she could have never rewritten it to begin with. Right. And actually goes back to fix everything that has been done with the cosmic cube or such. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm guessing happens. That's, that's right now the official Legion of myth, Garthon's Calipole guess of what happens in secret empire. Hydra wins and then Kobik decides, okay, I just this was not what I wanted it to be. It's no longer fun. I need to fix this. And she deletes herself and makes it all work again. Well, if all of our listeners say, we believe, it's going to happen. Yeah. Clap if you believe in fairies. But the... Anyway. That's basically all that happens in this issue. Pretty short issue uh, on plot, honestly. But there's some good dialogue going on. Things what's happening with it. Uh, you, if you ever want to see Captain America beat the living dog squeeze out of the Red Skull, you get to see that too, you know. If you've always thought that Captain America needed a lot more Punisher in him, you got your... Right now, Punisher is less violent than Captain America. That's not right. Is Punisher alive right now? Yeah, it is opposite day. Deadpool is more of a hero than Captain America right now. Like I said, I did appreciate how tightly this actually wound in with Uncanny Avengers. I have not seen any other comic book in Marvel recognize that Uncanny Avengers even exists. So I was actually kind of pleased to see that. Um, did I like the book? Yes and no. Like I just said my complaints about it. The writing is uh, is above average. The art is above average. 
It does a great job transitioning. It tells a good, coherent story. I can see where things are going, and it, it. But what the story is makes me mad. I hate what they've done to Captain America, and that hurts whether how good the comic is. Honestly, um, I'll give it a three out of five. It probably deserves better, but they made me hate Captain America, so they get a three out of five. But it does give me hope that they're going to fix it, but only because I know the comic just doesn't give me hope they're going to fix it. It's my knowledge of reading um, like Marvel's plans for the future that they've used for solicitations. Like, hey, buy this book because it's going to have this in it. And you know, Comic Book Resources has reported on it and a few other things. That gives me hope. The book itself gives me none. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to stick with three out of five. I was going to think of three and a half, but no, it's getting a three because... You made me feel sorry for Red Skull. I think make me feel sorry for Hitler. I should never feel sorry for Hitler. You know. Well, you you've made me feel very sad. I hope the next comic's gonna cheer me up. Me too. I ah, it reminds me of uh, the Christmas issue of South Park. Like, oh, hey Hitler, what's wrong, little guy? Oh, you want a Christmas tree? You know, it's made me feel sorry for Red Skull. Oh, Captain America took over my organization and he threw me out of a window. Oh, sorry, little guy. You want a hug? Anyway. <sighs> your German accent's better than your Boston accent. <laughs> uh, I've known more people from Germany than Boston. Yeah. All right, so. Next up. Uh, no, oh, I'm going to change my review already. Two and a half out of five. That's how much you made me hate Captain America. Even though your art and story <laughs> pacing and everything else is above average, you get a two and a half out of five. You get a dead average number. That's what you get. Damn you, Captain America, Steve Rogers, number 15. Why can't I quit you, Captain America? I'm going to buy the next issue. So, yeah. uh, Battered spouse it was, syndrome. It was five stars, five stars on Comixology, by the way. Well, that's because they hate Captain America. <laughs> I can believe Comixology giving it a five stars. Like I said, the art is above average. The writing is above average. It does a great job with continuity. Uh, it does a great job with transitions. There's like some wicked... When Captain America... When you get that twist with Captain America throwing out the window, you never saw that coming. Um, and even Sin, his Red Skull's own daughter, is like, you know, yeah, I'm glad you killed him. It's like, whoa, whoa. And when you see crossbones, like Captain America's arch nemeses of the Red Skull, bowing down to him, wow. You know, that's, uh, you know, you got some powerful evil going on then. So, uh, I can believe that they gave it five stars. But my biased opinion is two and a half because they made me hate Captain America. That's what I'm going to say. It is a really good book. That's the thing. That's that's the weird thing about like comic ratings and your internal biases. In a lot of ways, this is an outstanding book with unexpected twists and surprising endings and the setup for the big thing happening. They've done that masterfully. But then I go back to, Captain America should not be evil. I'm reading a book about a bad guy. And the book I had actually is about a bad guy, Doctor Doom. He's a better hero than Captain America. 
that's Infamous Iron Man. And that's an excellent, excellent book. But, uh, so yeah, I, I'm not going to argue with their rating of five stars. I'm not. But, Garthon opinion, two and a half. No, I believe yours. Definitely, uh, five solid stars with 46 reviewers. Something's wrong there. Now, like I said, I, I can believe it because, like I said, but, you know, uh, they turned him into a bad guy. I can't get over that. It's not Captain America. No. And I hate his new shield. You know something's wrong when your shield, you know, it's the uh, the pointy style chevron type shield. Okay. But then, like, in the first issue, he's using the points to, like, cut people's heads off. It's like, what? <laughs> and then later it's revealed it can actually be divided in two. So he has two spiky bits, one on each arm, and the end spiky bit can get, like, a laser edge on it to cut heads off better. Captain America does not cut off heads. He does. In World War II, he gunned down a lot of people with machine guns and then would go home and smoke a pipe and talk about how Jerry got what he deserved. Okay. Yeah, Captain America did that. But you know what? That was World War II. That was the 1940s, and that's what Captain America did back then. You know, that's where they said Wonder Woman would do that, and then she would lose her powers if a man tied her up and spanked her, which was quite frankly very strange. Nothing fetishy about that at all. Nope. Nope. I wonder why that's not part of her power set anymore. Well, you've seen that, right? Where uh, I know I'm oranging hardcore today. The there's like the setup where Batman actually has a plan for every single member of the Justice League. Like he has a, a box like with the plan yeah. in it. And there's one of – and he's actually like – there was one time when Superman confronts him about this. And he's like, okay. And he hands him the box for, with Wonder Woman's symbol on it. It's like, he's, you know these are all my plans in case one of the Justice League goes rogue. Here's Wonder Woman's. Check it out. And he opens it up and it's, it's empty. He's like, what? He's like, you – are my only plan if she goes rogue. She has no weaknesses, no disadvantages. She's the high, high, the highest class of fighter. And that's why I had to stop and go, wait. And because they retconned all of her Golden Age history away, she no longer has any weaknesses. She's more powerful than Superman now. I would really love... Personally, I know they would never do this. I would just get a private evil giggle if... Actually, she still had the if she's ever bound by a man in her own lasso, she loses her powers. If she still had that weakness, but no one knows about it because that sure as hell isn't going to happen. I would just love if she actually still had that weakness. Yeah, who the hell knows how to throw a lasso anyway? Right, but, and also, how would you even get her into the position where you could get her lasso and tie her up with it? If you could do that, you don't need to take away her powers in the first place. So, but... That's what happens when you retcon people's Golden Age history away. You get a, a Wonder Woman who's more powerful than Superman and a Captain America throwing Red Skull out of a window and cracking your skull on a bunch of rocks. That's what happens, kids. Remember history, or you're doomed to have an evil Captain America. Next issue. X-Men Gold, number one. The X-Men series are... Um, X-Men and Inhumans have just... Actually, I think it's still ongoing... But it got delayed, so the books after the ending are coming out. Uh, X-Men have gone to war with the Inhumans. Very long story behind it. No one really cares. Uh, a lot of people have the meta discussion that the reason the X-Men aren't war with the Inhumans is because 
uh, Marvel doesn't own the rights to the X-Men movies, uh, but they do to the Inhumans movies. And so screw those mutants. We can make more money off the Inhumans. We need to push them. And then everyone's like, what happened to the X-Men? And they're like, screw you guys, Inhumans. They're like, no, we want X-Men. And that's why they're at war. Um, comic book-wise, the, there was a war. The Terrigen gas that gives Inhumans their powers got released upon the whole Earth on accident, accidentally on purpose. So all these people have randomly been turning into Inhumans, going through the weird cocoon process, becoming Inhumans. And because of that, after the events of all the mutant gene dying and there being no mutant children, all of a sudden there's way more Inhumans than mutants. The mutants are dying out, Inhumans are coming in. And the Terrigen gas that makes people Inhumans is also poison to mutants. It genetically kills them. Which makes no sense, but hey, whatever, we'll go with it. Um, so, which a lot of people thought I had a nice meta meaning, like, oh, kind of, so, the thing that makes Inhumans happen is actually killing the X-Men, just like how Marvel is killing off the X-Men so people will read the Inhumans because they own the Inhumans and not the X-Men movies. Huh. Uh, it's a little meta. Anyway, that all aside... At the end of uh, X-Men vs. Inhumans, uh, the ending is what you expect from one of those big crossover series. Things kind of go back to the way it was before. The Inhumans are doing their thing in Inhuman bland, and but the X-Men are having to come back from a lot of bad issues of comics. The X-Men have been in a weird place for a while. Um, their writing went downhill. They've had a lot of fractured series. Uh, it was very hard for even hardcore followers to even have anything going on. But this is X-Men Gold number one. Uh, written by Mark Guggenheim. Um, a few different artists, uh, Lester and Siaf. This book actually kind of shows, from what, I under, from what I understand, the direction all the Marvel comics will be going after the events of Secret Empire. You can already see, it's an, it's an issue one, when honestly is X-Men Gold, it should probably be like a 200 or 300, I think. But in the upper left-hand corner, they brought back the face box. It's in the X on this, so it's not a distinct rectangle, but they're bringing back the upper left-hand corner, which would show the faces of all the characters in the comic. I, I like miss that. that so much. Me too. And it's back, right there, on that issue, right there, the upper left corner. It doesn't have the numbering up there. But it has that, and that's something they said is coming back too, which just makes me giggle because I loved those things. You know, it's just something very nostalgic about seeing it. And also, some of the artists would actually play around with those boxes. Um, like you would actually, there's actually a, a great series of uh, Hulk comic books where, in every issue, the 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 uh, the face box in the upper left is it starts out with Bruce Banner, right? And then every box for the next, like, two years is him transforming into the Incredible Hulk. Oh, nice. Yeah, so every month was slightly different of this transformation of him, like, hulking out. And it was wonderful. And you see all people do all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Or there like to be a standard, like, set of, like, six heads in the box. But then if, like, a character, you know, did something, their face would be missing or different. You know, there's a lot of things you can do to play around and hint at some of the books with that. So I'm happy to, it's a little thing I'm happy to see back. Well, the, the Hulk collectors ruined the condition of their uh, their back copies because they put them in a big stack during that two-year time frame where we're flipping them. <laughs> the 
And of course, it was bending the comics. And... Yeah, you know, just totally wearing them out. Well, it's actually what's funny is there, you actually will find classic comics with that box cut out in the upper left uh, because Austin had like a really cool picture of like one of the characters there. And, you know, someone's 10, like, oh, cool, they'll cut it out and like, you know, put it in their Trapper Keeper or something. <laughs> or if it's 1960s, they would paste it on their book covers, whatever. And so it looked cool then, but now you look at this book, it's like, oh, it's missing. No. You know, anyway. But uh, X-Men Prime was kind of a pre-issue showing what's going to be happening with all the X-Titles. There's a new X-Force book, uh, X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, and... I think there's another one going off that. But in this, Kitty Pride has taken over as head of the X-Men's primary team. Um... At the end of X-Men Prime, the prequel showing what's going to happen with all the teams, she decided to bring the X-Mansion out of Limbo, where it had been put temporarily for safety during the War with the Inhumans, and she had magic drop it down into Central Park. Which, okay, it was kind of like, oh, they're back to New York and their roots and stuff, but I, my thought was, you can't drop a mansion and a school in the middle of Central Park. That is not going to go well. And they actually, believe it or not, Shocker addressed that in this book. It's a small thing, but like some for the city of New York's like, hey, you know, we're glad, you know, to help you out. You know, things are going on. You know, yeah. But uh, hey, um, I'm glad you reached an agreement with you uh, being here. Uh, unex- you know, and of course people start joking like, well, I'm not gonna show you. She just kind of magically teleport the whole school in your park. So uh, like, yeah, here's the bill for uh, your first year's uh, rent on the park, <laughs> and it's like 17 million dollars a month. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. Why is it's like, like this is the most expensive property in the entire world you're in. They've never allowed anything to be built here. Yeah, um, great. Um, this issue is great to me because it does a lot of callbacks to X-Men history. Um, there are multiple references to Kitty Pride's first appearance, which had that classic cover that states, uh, Welcome to the X-Men. We hope you survive the experience. And in this, she's actually reminiscing while she's dealing with trying to find a way to pay the bills and keep the teams united and all sorts of stuff. In Professor X's old office, she's trying to go through all the paperwork and get things, you know, working that kind of stuff. And she's reminiscing about it, kind of like talk to Professor X in her head. And she kind of smiles to herself and says, well, I did it. I did survive the experience, you know, which is a nice callback. You have to understand her origins for that. And I liked that. It wasn't a line where it didn't make sense without it. But you got a lot more if you did know. And this book is full of that. Um, kind of like, what, like if you could see the cover of this issue, you obviously can, under, can uh, you instantly recognize probably Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, um, Old Man Logan. Yeah, it's Wolverine, but older from a different timeline. Let's not worry about that. Uh, Kitty Pride is up front. But in the left up front, you probably don't recognize who that is. That is Prestige. Better known as Rachel Pryor. i sorry, uh, Rachel Summers. Better known as Phoenix. Phoenix 2? Yep, that is Phoenix 2. Um, she went by Phoenix at first, and then she started going by Marvel Girl. Now she goes by Prestige. The idea behind that being, they actually explained it in the comics, that Marvel Girl, the names Marvel Girl and especially Phoenix don't actually have a great ring to them nowadays, especially because when people think Phoenix, they think... Uh, Horrible entity trying to destroy the world. And when they think Marvel Girl, they don't think of her. 
So she's now prestige. But yeah, that's her. And she actually has written, like I said, they actually, uh, the writer Mark Guggenheim does a great job in creating new paths while honoring the past of the X-Men. And I always, always appreciate that. There's a lot in this book that calls back to the past, but you don't really need to have read all those past X-Men comics. But this especially draws from just the first, from this issue and the the uh, the prequel X-Men Prime issue. They're really heavily trying to capture that Claremont feel, and right now they're good. nailing it. Good, um, good, good. The art is outstanding i love the writing i love it feels for the first time in years like an x-men book it isn't relying too heavy on any tropes of oh boohoo no one likes this because we're mutants but that is in there after they actually go and save a bunch of people from a burning building you know uh not a from a collapsing building they save a bunch of people and then the people are just like kind of staring at them and someone's like, you know, if we were the Avengers, they'd be cheering for us, you know. And Kitty goes out to talk to him. It's like, hey, you know, we know there's been some bad stuff happening right now. Uh, I hope you're all okay. This little girl says, I'm okay. And her mom's like, don't talk to it. It's like, it? What do you mean, it? Well, how would you like to be called? Well, maybe like as a person, as you, as a human being maybe, you know. <laughs> then, she's like, then she kind of steps back and says, you know what? Okay, maybe we had that coming. We just had a freaking citywide war with the Inhumans. We've made a lot of bad decisions the past few years, and we apologize for that. We're trying. We've all had our issues, but we need to work together to make a better future. And it's like, oh my god, oh my god, it wasn't just angry mutants or screw you all or like we've been seeing in the extra books or no, we will be better by not talking. No, it was like, okay, we're own, we made some mistakes. And after that, like, I think it was, no, it was uh, Logan later talking to her saying that was a real Professor X moment back then, you know. And, you know, and they have a little back and forth about, oh, you know, you're trying to insult me? And he's like, no, 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 that, that was good. And it was. It was a very Professor X thing to do. And you're getting a lot of moments like this in this book. You know, um, <clears throat> why didn't they... You're saying that they're going to be rebooting all these series and picking up where the numbers left off. And you're going to say, why aren't they doing that with the X-Men? Exactly. X-Men have always kind of been in their own little capsule in, in Marvel. Always. Um, you can even think back to when the, the Phoenix Force nearly trashed the world. You never saw the Avengers fight it. It was just the X-Men. Back when the... Uh, they had to unite with the Star Jammers to stop. Uh, what was that when the big crystals were taking over the universe and going to kill everyone? What was that? Do you remember that? Oh, what was that? That was a major event. Big crystals. That's what it was shown as. Oh, like the world was going to end. The universe was going to end, and they had to go into space and stop it. Like in like around Uncanny X Men number one forty through one. Something around it, it was it there. was eighties X Men. Um, yeah, somewhere around there. I try to remember what the event was called. I don't remember Big Crystals. Ah, oh, I try to remember because that's when Professor X ended up like hooking up with the uh, that bird alien chick whose name oh, Ilya. One of the big ears. Yeah. The, big know, hair. Shira, Shiara. Yeah, Shiara. It was on that time for. Oh, why can't I remember the name of that? Anyway, but around the time that was going on, you know, the Avengers didn't go out there. Guardians of the Galaxy didn't do anything about it. The X Men had to do it. 
the X-Men, have, when the Brood took over the world, eh, only the X-Men dealt with it. So the X-Men have always been in their own little bubble. And I'm guessing that is why the X-Men aren't getting that. And also, they're not going back to Uncanny X-Men. It's X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. And that would honestly go back to series from the 90s. And they're really trying to call back to the 80s without going back to the Uncanny X-Men title for some reason. I guess because you're for Uncanny Avengers and Uncanny Inhumans and Uncanny Captain America, whatever they got. That last issue, that last title may not actually be a real book. So anyway, like I said, this book has done a great job of capturing the feel of those great Chris Claremont issues. And it even ends, the book ends with them meeting, uh, with them going to some trouble call. And when they get there, they find themselves face to face with, like, wait, who are you guys? And they said, do we even need to be introduced? We're the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And it looks like a lot of the original members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and some new ones. And I just had to, that cracked a giant smile on my face because they actually, for the first time in years, used the name Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Because <laughs> they had dropped that years ago. It was just the Brotherhood or Brotherhood of Mutants. Because we're not evil. They actually use the evil titles. Like, oh, hell yeah. You know, in a way, why are they referring to themselves as evil? I don't know. Then it could be just one of the things like, you say I'm evil? Fine. I'll be evil. I'm tired of your crap. You know, that could be it. Maybe they'll explain that. But it was a great ending, great splash page ending. I can't say enough good things about this book. This is the X-Men book I've been waiting for for years. And that's why... And since a lot of other books have disappointed me and I've canceled them, I'm now collecting this book for X-Men. Very, very happy about it. Uh, five out of five for this issue. Just loved it to death. Uh, highly great jumping on point. If you like the X-Men or have liked them in the past but stopped collecting them in like the 90s or the 2000s, I say jump back on board right now. Now's the time, kids. The train's in the station, but it's going to pull out soon. Get on board now. And that is Garthon's comic pool. That's a good run. Yeah, that was long. But anyway, let's go to RNG. Not that we weren't doing that before, but now we're in distinct RNG. There is something I would like to talk about real quick. Please do. <laughs> Since you haven't been talking yet, why not talk now? All right. Ghost in the Shell, the film. Oh, me too. I just saw that today. Oh, I saw it last week. Did you hear my review of it? I did not. Okay. Uh, to sum up, um, I was insulted. It's crap. Um, yeah. To me, to me, they turned a film that was about uh, artificial intelligence, what it is to be human, uh, the direction of the nature of the evolution of humanity, um, and also little bits and pieces about uh, what AI is, um, coexistence with a powerful AI, things like that. And they turned it into Tron Revolution plus RoboCop. You know, um, so that was my opinion. It looked it, visually, it looked to me like someone watched Blade Runner once, didn't understand a damn thing that was going on, but thought it looked kind of cool, but really wanted to amp that shit up, yo. And so they mixed that aesthetic with Tron Revolution because that's the bomb, yo. And that's why it looked that way. Uh, I absolutely hate it. So what did you think of the film? So I definitely hated Tron Revolution, by the way. 
Good. Uh, Everyone should hate Tron Revolution. Yeah. yeah. But I did not like the anime, Ghost in the Shell. That's okay. You don't have to like it. I don't like most anime. Um, but I actually enjoy this movie thoroughly. And I've been enjoying a lot of her movies lately. Uh, I enjoyed Lucy, and it didn't get very good reviews. That's because it was terrible. Nope, I enjoyed but it. But Lucy was better than this. This one the, definitely had higher budget. The instant you go, all right, Lucy, go back to Lucy. The instant you put to be the premise, humanity only uses 50% of their brain. Imagine if they use 100%. Okay, that's crap from the beginning. That's from a disproven study from the 30s. You know, that's not true. You already lose me at your tagline because I know it's crap. You know. Yeah, but it's fiction. No, there's there's fiction needs believability. Like if you start out in a world where dragons emerge, okay, I could get on board with that. You did not start out with in a world where humanity only uses 15% of their brain. No, you're saying this is a fact. But imagine if it wasn't. Ban, no, 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 it's not a fact. You know, that's like you saying everyone has a pet monkey, but what if their monkey also spoke Swedish? I mean, I can, I fall into that, uh, I guess I'll call it a trap, a lot where, you know, some movies or, you know, TV shows or books I read, there's only so much disbelief I'm willing to suspend. And some people have difficulty suspending some disbelief uh, as opposed to other types of things to disbelief. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, that's where we get a lot of varying opinion in that regard, especially from nerd society who looks at a movie and we're tearing it apart for completely different reasons. Well, I, I know a lot of people tore apart the Ghost of Shell movie for the uh, quote-unquote whitewashing controversy where you had a white actress playing a character who in the original source material is clearly Japanese. Right. Well, they may as, may as well have reviewed the movie before they saw it. Then, right. And well, I think Scarlett right. Johansson was in it. Right. And – while I was of the crowd who thought it was really a bad idea to have Scarlett Johansson playing this role, um, that, to me, if it was still a good film, I wouldn't care, honestly. But they went so far as to almost call attention to that controversy by saying, oh, it's actually a Japanese girl named Kusanagi, Makoto, uh, Makoto Kusanagi. It's actually her brain inside of a white girl body now. It's like, okay, you're just trying to, like, get people mad at you now, you know? Um, so that also made me laugh because it was just so much, are you trying to stir up more controversy? Or was that your attempt to try and like, Oh no, no, she's still Japanese. You know, you know, no, that made it worse. That's, uh, and, and you took a character who was a dedicated, uh, special forces operative and turned her into an echo protester who was forced into being an elite operative. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you go and take someone who hates you and put them in a multi-billion dollar body? What? They wipe your memories. That, so what? Why not get someone who's going to be on your side in the first place so you don't have to wipe their memories? Well, you got all these bodies that of these people that have been protesting against you already. Just handy. shoot them. I mean, honestly, and if they're just protesting, who the hell cares? It, there's so much that, that didn't make any sense. The art style was ridiculous. Um, it, 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 sorry, I'm, I shouldn't. No, no, no. Anyway, anyway, um, was very disappointed in this film. Very disappointed on multiple levels. 
Um, I know that Bob liked it a lot, too. Bob said it was a great popcorn movie. It was entertaining. It has a great action scenes. And all the action scenes, pieces of it were pulled directly from the anime or manga. I probably said those words wrong. Don't care. I care a little bit. Um, which is true. A lot of the action scenes, they had pieces pulled directly from the source material. But the context of every time they did that was so completely changed that being a nerd fanboy for the original stuff, it really bothered me. Which it shouldn't have, honestly, I guess. But no, it did. It bothered me a lot. Because to me, it felt like you know, they just didn't really give a crap at the source material, but they knew that scene looked really cool, and so they used it anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to obviously pay tribute to the original content a bit. Uh, I know, didn't it, find how, how... that. I couldn't find that as tribute, though. To me, it just said, it, to me, it didn't feel like tribute as much as ripoff, which is a distinction. And you're probably right that they were trying to pay tribute. Well, if it was a license, if it wasn't a licensed product uh, of Ghost in the Shell, it had some other title, and they're ripping off those scenes, that's a ripoff. But this is actually no, it's a official licensed. And licensed. Yeah, I yeah. Know. So it's not a ripoff. They're using some of the content from the anime manga, which it's based upon. Yeah, loosely. The title's yeah, the same. Uh, the title is the same. I I uh, I was happy that it was loosely based, and they took a lot of. Uh, uh, they took more leeway. than a lot of liberties. Uh, they slipped. Just, just they slipped the source material to roofies and had their way with it. You know, just because I didn't enjoy the original source material, but I went in thinking, "Hey, it might be a good sci-fi action flick," and it was. Um, See, it I can't even get a good sci- ignore that original content. I can't even get to give a good sci-fi action flick because I couldn't buy off on a lot of the premises they were giving. It's like that doesn't make any sense. So that's just going to cause you problems. Anyway. So I was, read, I was reading through a lot of the reviews on IMDb, and it averaged out to about 6.9 or 6.8, somewhere in there. And oddly enough, if you go into the, the metrics for the reviews, the spike of uh, age, I, I thought it was surprising that the highest age group, uh, and it's probably for like a female, uh, for a female role, probably is a, a female kids under 18, uh, were up as high as 7.3. I, I'd buy it because they have yeah. they've probably never seen the source material and they aren't adult very enough strong, to. Yeah, they probably very strong female role. Really, I thought she was really weak as a female role. She was always <laughs> running from place to place. She had no control of her life, and she gave you know was still completely obsessed with some ex boyfriend who she didn't even remember. She's conflicted with uh, you know of course finding herself. Every young adult's finding themselves and can uh, probably relate, uh, but. In any case, um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed the movie. It was a good sci-fi. Um, all the reviews I was uh, reading, uh, primarily most of the bad reviews came from people that uh, uh, were complaining that it didn't uh, match the, the source content. Right, and which is, you know, very true. It completely didn't match. Yeah, so me, it, I, I look at things from a separate point of view. You know, I... Uh, it angers me when they take source content that was actually good and uh, see here we have two opposite uh, opinions. You enjoyed the source content. I didn't. I liked this movie. You didn't. Well, that's so, because the source material had like deep ideas and philosophical arguments and this does not. Um, so like uh, Batman versus Superman or Superman versus Oh Batman God. Versus oh. Oh. Yeah. So they took 
like three awesome storylines from the comics. Yes. And I would agree that those storylines are very good. And they crammed them up into a blender and made one movie out of it. One terrible, terrible and, movie. Yeah. So, and. But that movie fails not only on storyline. Batman vs Superman fails also in cinematography, in lighting, in costuming, um, in character portrayal. You know, it fails on so many levels. Ben Affleck was actually good. <laughs> I liked Wonder Woman. Actually. Wonder Woman was great. She was the best thing yeah, about the whole dang film. Thing. I actually uh, rewatched it the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wanted to uh, see if I felt differently about it watching the second time. I actually enjoyed it more the second time. I was less critical of it the second. Well, time. your your expectations have been lowered. Yeah, that probably did help. But I was also focusing while I was watching about how dark Superman actually was, and in fact, Superman was not dark. He lost his cool one time during a fight. Uh, which he re- which he recovered from. No, I don't mean. And, but no, I mean and, like he's lit darkly the entire time. Like he's never in a yeah. well lit area ever. Right. So he still was a beacon of uh, hope. He was still a beacon of uh, purity. But everybody else's uh, vision of him. A lot of people anyway. There's still people that loved him. And, uh, like the media was portraying him in a bad way. Batman, of course, was, and of course, Luther was making Batman think that way. It, it was really, he was not dark. He still was Superman, but he was in a dark world. I'm not going to argue with you too much on that. Um, I think my argument is he shouldn't have been in a dark world. That's not where Superman exists. That's why you have Batman in Gotham and Superman in Metropolis. Yeah, but if you take the original source content, the Frank Miller storyline, uh, Dark Knight Returns, I think is what it was called. Um, yeah, that was an incredibly dark world. It that was, and super content. and Superman was did not come off as a hero in that book either. Right, so I think in that aspect, when they did borrow from that source content, they did pull that darkness in and uh, portray it as written in the source content. It was just uh, my biggest beef with that movie was that they crammed in three great storylines into one movie and called it done. Uh, each one of those storylines could have been a trilogy in and of their own. Yes, and also, I, I, as many people have complained, for DC to do that and pull it off credibly, they honestly needed to release solo films for at least half the characters in that first. You know, Superman needed his own. Uh, Superman had his own film. Be, uh, ben Affleck, Batman needed his own film, and Wonder Woman should have had her own film before that film happened. Yeah, I would agree too. And, and I think if they had done that, they would have had a lot more credibility. And Superman should have had a much better film. Then the, the Doomsday storyline could have been, been maybe the Justice League storyline. Well, where, uh, uh, to me, the Doomsday story should have been like the second Superman story or third Superman. Actually, honestly, to me, a third Superman movie should have been Doomsday. They could have had a whole Superman movie of them just fighting and wearing each other down, other, other storyline progressing in the background, kind of like an Empire Strikes Back where, you know, it's just uh, – Nobody uh, wins or loses, you know, it's, uh, it's the war continues. Yeah. And, and uh, but then the beginning of the third Superman movie, he's still fighting them. And uh, then by the end of that movie, then he dies. So that way you just see this long, epic battle just, just continually going. Right. I agree with that. Uh, Sheriff 75 is asking, are you all looking forward to watching the future DC movies? 
uh, since Wonder Woman, Justice League, and others. Uh, Aquaman's getting filmed. The Aquaman, actually, it's getting some really positive buzz. Um, I'll send that to you first, Algarian. Are you looking forward to seeing the future DC movies? I am. I, I honestly, uh, I'm a nerd. I, I look forward to looking. I look forward to watching any uh, sci-fi or fantasy movie, any hero movie. But I'm going in worried, uh, mainly because of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad was by far the worst uh, uh, hero movie I've seen. Yeah, that was a bad uh, film. In in quite a while. Yeah, I I didn't like it. But I think I I didn't actually review Suicide Squad on the podcast just because I am so anti-Harley or what Harley Quinn has become. I'm so anti that character that I cannot give a unbiased review of any movie she's in because I just hate her character so much. <laughs> I hated what they did with uh, almost every character in that film. Yeah, I hated what they did with Joker. Jared Leto's a good actor. I'm not, I'm not saying he was a bad actor. I just did – that to me isn't the Joker. I hated – the acting – actually, the, I just forgot her name. The girl – the lady who played Harley Quinn did a great job. I just hate that version of Harley Quinn. Will Smith was – he was Will Smith. He wasn't bad. Um, I hated the way they did Killer Croc. I really hated the way they did uh, – not Gypsy. What's her name? The psychic character, the crazy Egyptian-looking one. What was her name, Elgarian? Yeah, I can't anyway, remember. Anyway, hated my, the way my... they did her. I liked Katana a lot, uh, but God, had like no play, no airtime, none. But I definitely do have high hopes for Wonder Woman. Uh, as much as I loved her in this Batman vs. Superman movie, the trailer for Wonder Woman looks great, in my opinion. Yeah, the trailer uh, for Wonder got, Woman looks I great. Um, I have high hopes for that one, too. Trailer looks fantastic. Um, and after the... Uh, after Suicide Squad came out, and after... Basically, after other things happened, and they got panned or lauded for things, they did a bunch of reshoots of Wonder Woman. They said it has nothing to do with that, but timing seems kind of odd on that. <laughs> but uh, it looks very hopeful and good. That's uh, what I want to see, you know. So hopefully, it look it's a good film. Everything about it looks good right now. Um, but the Justice League movie, uh, I have not liked a single preview I've seen for it. I have not. Uh, I'm going to. I'm not going to say I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. It it looks a little rock star. You know, like a little bit uh, too much uh, glitz and glamour and one-liner-ish. One -liner-ish. But well, uh, hopefully me, there's some story in there. Well, to me, the previews for the Justice League film look like previews for the Injustice video game. Yeah, I can see it. Like a video game, yeah. Yeah, it, to me, it sure. looks all, all action. Yeah, it's all action. Uh, characters are very wooden. You don't care. Uh, and just like and like I said, it runs to the Injustice video game, which is a fighting game, because everything's really dark and there's no backgrounds, and everyone just tries to be awesome to each other. So I'm vi Wonder Woman. I'm excited about every other DC movie. I, I gotta say, Aquaman cautiously optimistic. All the others do not don't care. I will see Justice League if they had the Flash TV series tying into the film and we're making a full big budget Flash film based off of that, I'd be excited. Did you watch uh, Deadpool or Logan yet? Yeah, I, I watched uh, Logan and Deadpool. Deadpool I thought okay. was hilarious. I thought it was a, the best... It was a best case scenario for making a Deadpool film. 
Good. You know, I, I thought they just knocked it out of the park for what Deadpool is. Um, and the, uh, but the, oh, what was the other one you said? Brain's leaving Logan. me. Logan. Um, because it looks like it was based off the old man Logan storyline, at first I had to get my eye, my head around the idea of like, okay, this is nothing like the comic. And it isn't. Just like all the other Wolverine stories have been nothing like the comics. Um, it completely mm-hmm. ignores the Wolverine movie, where his claws got cut off, which is good. They should ignore that. Well, that film has some good stuff in it, but the ending was crap. With the robotic silver samurai and draining his healing factor through his claw holes. Because if you're going to drain a healing factor, everyone knows, you have to drain it through the claw holes. That's Are you the talking, about, talking about the, the Wolverine movie? The Wolverine, Logan? right. So, the, so Logan ignores that. Um, I liked the Logan movie, but... That little girl kicked ass. She, she awesome. did. She was a great actress. I, I thought she. I thought everyone pretty much nailed their roles. Um, I Hugh Jackman did such a great job acting that film that for the first like half of the movie I was like, gosh, Hugh Jackman looks really old. No wonder he's stopping to do this guy. He looks like kind of like crap. He looks like really, really butch crap, like tough and muscly, but crap. I'll, I'll admit I got teary eyed a few times in Logan. Yeah, but was, but I thought time. he had that. Like, to finish my thought, I thought he looked terrible. And then they showed, like, the young, like, clone Wolverine they brought out. I'm like, oh, they just make it, used makeup to make him look older, and he's acting older. They, he, wow, he could still pull off young really well still. Wow. Um, it's a huge actor, but I started feeling sorry. Like, about half of these films, like, every time they met someone, I was like, oh, God, don't talk to them. They're all going to, don't talk to... <laughs> You're going to die. Yeah, it's like, no, don't don't go to their house for pie. Don't go, oh, they're all going to die. They were, <laughs> they were so nice. You know, it's like, and that made started making me so uncomfortable through the film. It's like, no, don't talk to them. Oh, they're I know, they're supposed to be heroes. You know, but it told an effective story for what they're trying to do. I liked the film. It did not have a super positive ending, it did have one of those things where it's like, in like the first scene, they show, I have an adamantium bullet with me. And then, of course, in Act 3, he needs the adamantium bullet. Of course. You know. Which doesn't make any sense, really. And also... Kind of also obvious foreshadowing. Yeah, it's really... Well, it's obvious foreshadowing. It's kind of like the old Chekhov, uh, the, the, the writer, who said, you don't show a gun over the mantle in Act 1 unless someone shoots someone in Act 3. You know? Yeah. And that's, you know, an old staple. That's going to happen. You know, every time they show us like that, I have a bullet with my with my arch nemesis name on it. I'm saving it just for him. And then you end up having to use it to save a little girl or something. You know, you know, it's going to happen. Um, or a little girl who doesn't talk in the beginning of the movie is going to be talking like a chatterbox by the end of the movie. Right. But the, you know, I can always nitpick stuff to death. But overall, I liked the arc of how it went. I thought it was a good sum up of all the Wolverine films. It was a great send off for Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Um, yes, definitely. And and Xavier is uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Xavier. yeah. And it wasn't what I would call a superhero film, but that's okay. It worked really well, and I liked it. It was overall. a drama. Yeah, it was a drama. It was a drama. Right. In no way was that a superhero film. It was an action drama. You know, it just you start. Because it was no like, yeah, go. Very rarely was, yeah, get a Wolverine. Even like the scene where he's like, scenes where he's cutting people up here, I was like, oh, God, how's he even standing? Oh, God. Just, 
oh, I just feel sorry for you. You know, but that was just some great acting and great scenes set up. And, you know, and that's what the effect they were going for. So that was a great superhero film. Not superhero, a great film. It's a great action drama with, you know, Wolverine. You can always nitpick stuff like, well, how's he a chauffeur driver? How's this? What about, you know, if it's actually poison to his body, why doesn't his body just reject the skeleton and push it out of his body? Like he pushed out the bullets that were in him? You know? Uh, we're, we're running long, but I have a theory about progression of the storyline that I'll share with you next show. Next show? Ah! No. Or after after we uh, cut. <laughs> All right. Well, we are running along. We did start a couple minutes late, so we're doing okay on time. But we do need to wrap this up. Um. Oh yeah, the reason I mentioned Ghost of Shell is because it really got hammered in the box office. I don't feel it deserved to get hammered as hard as it did. It should have done better than it's doing in the box office. For God's sake, Boss Baby made more money, and it shouldn't have. I don't think that any controversy about whitewashing around it should have hurt it that bad. I didn't like the film, but a lot of people I've talked to have, and it should have done better than it has, and I kind of wonder why. So, anyway, that was what my point about Ghost in Shell was. But let's wrap this up. Do you have any final words of Wisdom, Bulgarian? No, I'm good. All right, well, for all you out there, if you have any constructive comments or suggestions... Leah, let them know at Legion Myth on the internet at LegionMyth.com or .tv, Facebook.com slash LegionMyth, YouTube.com slash C slash LegionMyth underscore page. You know, just go to YouTube, type in Legion of Myth. We're there. Twitter at Legion of Myth because, you know, we do that. Uh, Twitch TV slash Legion Myth streaming every single day, kids. Check out our webpage for a schedule. Interact with us. Let us know what you think. You can also check out this audio version of this stream on iTunes. If you're using iTunes, go ahead and drop us a five-star review. Appreciate it. We'd leave one for you. Uh, Play RFM, Stitcher, TuneIn, or download directly from our webpage. If you want to support us, you can always grab our gear at shop.spreadshirt.com slash legionofmyth. Or support us directly over Patreon. Got some interesting goals going on there. Very interesting things coming up. Little uh, little hit. We are going to have a... Uh, some direct-to-Patreon supporter streams or uh, videos coming up. But stay tuned for more info on that. I'm not at liberty to say yet. But thank you, everyone, for listening to this, for interacting a bit in the chat. We all appreciate it. And remember, guys, you have one life. Live it well. Live it nerdy. And have a great journal and up. You see. You ran long because you let me start ranting about stuff.